This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today we're fortunate to be with Mike Gearhart. He's the CEO of 5280 Software, and he's currently the CTO of Fathom. And we're going to dig into the IoT space today and uh, a couple of other topics. So this is going to be quite fun, and we've been chatting before the show quite a bit. So, Mike, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for having me and uh, look forward to talking. Absolutely. So for the folks out there going like, well, what the heck is 5280 and what is Fathom? So tell me a little bit about the businesses and who you serve. Yeah, absolutely. So 5280 Software was founded originally. uh, I founded it to focus on really what I had been doing for the last decade of my career, which is helping companies take legacy architectures and infrastructures and technology and really uh, get the business logic extracted, cleaned up, and in a much more relevant and future-looking architecture. And so uh, for us, we do a lot of work in the ski industry because we've seen a lot of uh, you know problems that they've had there. And we also do a lot of work with uh, small businesses, startups, and medium-sized businesses in the Denver area who need help in really maturing their technology. And that's how we originally sort of met with Fathom, uh, was on the basis of really helping them take the legacy of startup workflows that they had had for the last years and and the pivots in their business and really help them uh, mature their technology stack. And in exploring that relationship, it eventually just turned into something more. And in taking the CTO role here, we're really focused on helping companies with legacy architecture situations. So Fathom does a little bit of the same thing, but really focused in the IoT space and really helping industrial companies kind of get the data and devices and everything that they have exposed in a way that lets them learn from their data and and predict the things that they need to to be a more efficient and operational business. You know, for the the guy that's going like, wow, what is a legacy architecture? (laughs) And I'm going like, Old. Sure, fine. Uh So for the layperson, what is a legacy architecture example? Yeah, and when I say legacy, for me, it doesn't necessarily mean old. Uh, It's something that has, for me, just had a lot of different hands on it. When I think legacy, I'm thinking more of my legacy and my legacy as a business. I, over the last number of years as a business executing, have learned a lot of things about how to operate in our space, how to do different things and interact with our customers. And so, but it's been built by a dozen different people with a dozen different attitudes and has become something that really handcuffs you and prevents you from innovating in your industry and being somebody who's bringing new tools to your customers because you can't because of your the way your code is put together. And so that's really when I talk about a legacy architecture, it's really about the people who have all this really valuable knowledge locked away in a system that they can't access. Yeah, so, you know, for you, we talked a little bit beforehand that you had a rather, maybe not so unique nowadays, but a unique path to the skills that you possess. To Walk us through that that deal. Yeah, absolutely. So the... 
for me, technology started as a kid. Uh, my dad was an EE and somewhere in his career realized, I think that software was the future, not necessarily hardware. And so, you know, he made the move. Uh, and I think that proved well in his career as he made it through several, you know, different sort of acquisitions in that line of work, sort of living through on software and, you know, seeing him make that transition and having these books start to show up in our house for C++ and Objective-C and Visual Basic and all these different programming languages. I was just at an age at 13, 14, where I wanted more knowledge. I was in a, you know, a mindset of learning. And so I started picking those books up and said, oh, well, cool. So if I do that, I can make the computer do this. And really just through, you know, middle school and high school, you know, I programmed little calculator games for the TI-83, little programs for the computer, and eventually, you know, I guess thought that I should be an EE, even though I was doing all this software stuff all through high school, figured I'd follow in my dad's footsteps and uh, spent a semester in college realizing that uh, at best I would have liked to be an electrician and not so much an EE. Uh, and you know, from there, kind of struggled to find what it was that I wanted to do, tried construction management. In my second year of school, was doing general business studies and got a job. Uh, you know, Jeff Yeager, a, a good friend of mine now, and actually my accountant, as he's changed careers in his life, uh, gave me an opportunity to work for his company and be the sort of tech resource supporting a small e-commerce website. Uh, from there, tried for a year to do full-time school, full-time work, uh, but realized that, yeah, this is what I want to do. Why well, try to do both of these and really just sort of dove in, uh, worked my way through a few small startups uh, in the Fort Collins, North Colorado area, building e-commerce software, really uh, got my only name on a patent back working for a company called Deal For It, where we built a flash-based, flex-based, action script-based technology that did walk-on video negotiations for eBay sellers. So it would come on and you'd make an offer and video would come out and tell you, that's a terrible offer, or let me take that to the boss and come back with counter offers and really try to negotiate and create a fun experience. Um, and then from there, I guess, you know, over the next few years really grew out of just being the developer and really embraced, you know, the, I guess, leadership that I wanted to give in, in the area and just sort of progressed up and really to architecture positions and then into the roles that I'm in now as a CEO and CTO of uh, 5280 and Fathom. And so you've had... Um, 5280 now for a number of years. Three years since uh, September of 2014. So there's that process, and many go through it. We chatted about it a bit. You you make up your mind that you're going to start your company. What was that thought process and discussion when you go home? You're married at the time. Yes. Still married. (laughs) Yes. And and you go home and go, honey, I've decided. (laughs) How was that? Uh, For us, I think it was not as surprising for her. I've been an entrepreneur or wanted to be an entrepreneur for a long time in my life. And so the, you know, in the end, for me, it boiled down to a decision about being happy and quality of life. And, uh, you know, opportunity came knocking in some of the relationships I had in ski from previous work. And so, uh, 
you know, going home with my wife and, you know, she was six, seven months pregnant at the time. We were about to close on our first house, I think two months from then and came home and said, look, I've got an opportunity uh, to really start our own thing, to provide ourselves. I think at the time for that contract, it was really only a three-month guarantee of work. It wasn't like we had closed a, a full year or two years worth of contract or anything, but the opportunity was there. And I think, you know, she understood that, you know, th I wasn't exactly happy any longer where we were working before. That mixed with really not letting that opportunity slip made it, I think, for us a little bit easier than maybe it is for some people. There were certainly struggles. And I think as I actually took the leap and started the business, you really learn a lot about the value of a paycheck, I think. The knowledge that, you know, every two weeks, every four weeks, I've got this money coming in. And when you're running your own business and you're closing these contracts, you're not getting the money as smoothly. And, you know, we were talking beforehand a little bit. There were times when it was, you know, pretty low. And, and it's like, oh, <laughs> man, I guess we're not I guess we're not buying groceries right now. And, the you know, the check comes in in four days and we'll be okay. And so... Mm. You know, what you can, you know, if you're looking to take that leap, what you can do ahead of time uh, to do it, uh, to kind of prepare yourself would be good. But I think for us, it's really about not letting those opportunities in life sort of pass you by because they don't always come back around. We could probably go miles down that road if they don't always come back around, <laughs> you know, and, and there's a certain, you know, I think with the entrepreneur, there's a certain level of courage that comes. I mean, you got to have faith in yourself and you got to be willing to go risk because you know, there's always that opportunity to go sit as an employee with right. the theory that you're at less risk. That's more theory. Correct. <laughs> you know, if you're not invaluable, then you're just an expense and they'll let you go. Correct. It, you know, it's, it's not if. I exactly. You know, so, so you, you got 5280 up and running. Mm -hmm. And for the folks going, so I'm, I'm still a bit lost. Yeah. I don't know. What kind of, you know, what does your ideal client or prototypical client look like? What problems do they have and what do you guys do to solve their problem? Yeah, and I, I think the ski industry for me is the perfect example. Uh, for 15 plus years, they've been handcuffed by the point of sales systems that they chose typically 14, 15 years ago. Uh, and these point of sales systems are embedded across everything that they do, uh, which was the way that we built technology back when these systems were built. It, it scans your lift tickets, it sells your lift tickets, it sells you food on the resort, it books your hotel room, it gives you access to the gates. It's These systems are integrated at all levels. The problem for that industry is that the investment by those companies hasn't been there to really keep their technology relevant so that the ski industry can leverage new technology to create new innovative customer experiences that really help them address a bit of the customer base issue that they're having in their issue. And what that's led to is a situation where it has spun up a, a nice ecosystem of vendors who are trying their hardest to provide the these innovative solutions. They're people that are passionate about ski. Uh, Flake, uh, one of the customers of ours, uh, they do ski school software. So they have a little device that uh, IoT uh, they attaches to the student on the mountain and it tracks where they are. The instructors use that to know if a kid's been lost. The mountain uses that when a kid's been lost. 
there's the kid. Uh, the parents use it at the end of the day to get a report on the fun that their kid had. And so they, Flake gets to use this data in a lot of cool ways where they find themselves is an inability to make it an, an integrated resort experience. So they kind of sit on the outside of the business. And in the end, while they're creating very unique customer value, they're in the end adding val- uh, adding expense on the back end by creating processes of manual reconciliation. And nobody's afraid of that. It's just a part of the situation they're in. And so really that's where we look to step in is let's take these people who have an inability to connect and innovate and let's help this industry create the right pieces that allow resorts to maintain security and control over their data and partnerships, but allow them to let people like Flake and Ski Data and these other vendors in the space be more connected so that everybody gets more value, the customer gets more value, the resorts get more intelligence because Flake is developing intelligence tools around ski school and the resorts no longer have to try and build those tools themselves. You know, as, as the folks are listening, you know, and, and many of us heard IoT, you know, and we have this vision of the refrigerator, <laughs> you know, and the thermostat. Right. And, you know, and a couple of other things. So... If you can, expand a little bit on IoT from your perspective. Yeah, so the as I kind of touched on before, the old mentality of software was I need to build something that does everything. Um, IoT is really the advent of sharing of data, the open, you know, exchange of data between organizations. And, you know, it's nothing new. It's been going on for a very long time, but really more in the industrial space as people really focus on how do we take hardware devices and connect them up to the cloud so that we can take these embedded systems and gain more value out of them and connect them to the world. And so the you know, for me initially, that's what IoT was, is really that industrial focus. And I think the reason we've all heard more about it recently is we start to see that sort of bleed into our consumer electronics as they have Alexa and Google Home apps and our smart refrigerators or our coffee machines that we can control from a cell phone and things like that. In the end, that's what IoT is. It's about devices. It's about things being able to communicate with each other. And right now in the industry, there's a struggle to find ways to kind of bridge the different gaps of how people are trying to achieve that. And that's part of, I think, what we look to solve. Not that we're going to create the standard, but we really look at it from a perspective of we don't want to create the standard. We want to be able to work with all of these different things happening because that is what IoT is, the open exchange of data so that we can all do more together. Yeah, you know, and I, th- I think about that, you know, you see it on your phone, you know, will you allow so-and-so, you know, to track where you are so we can tell you where the, the closest restaurant is or right. the closest gas station. And, you know, and so that's a sharing piece that's first-generation thought. And then the question is, is what if there's 4,200 people doing the same thing, same place, at the same time of day? What does that data provide you? And, you know, so we were talking a bit about the ski space and the data what do you see the data collection doing for the consumer and the provider? 
Yeah, so there's definitely consumer benefits to IoT and having this data. And so the the ski industry is unique. So, you know, sometimes when we think IoT, we do just think about the connected devices that are the new connected devices that are being built, but really a lot of companies have really had IoT engagements going on in their resorts. So when you think about a resort, you know, you're scanning lift tickets, so you've got devices everywhere, you've got gates, and for years they've just been collecting that data into a database and not gaining valuable insights into what they can do with that data, both to improve operational efficiencies and to improve the guest experience. And so when we look at sort of IoTifying the ski resort industry, that's where we like to look to start. And it's like with our partner Flake as we look to expose them ways to know where people are on the mountains so that you can share, you know, they're near this restaurant because they just went up this lift. We can share with them a coupon to try and drive those sales into other places. And the consumer experience is better because they are receiving those discounts for the experience that they're on. Um, we also find, you know, outside of the monetary experience, people are actually looking for physical experiences. And so by using, you know, the right information that's already locked away in their legacy, you might be able to push people to other experiences on the mountain that really help them understand there's more to do up here than just ski. There's, and, and that's, I think, a big part of really helping the ski resorts is helping people see the other opportunities. And so by using IoT and understanding where people are, what their likes and interests are, you can really drive an effective experience that's catered to those users. Well, I, I just think of some of my experiences where I thought I was going down the proper slope and I found out that I wasn't. <laughs> and then you get to learn some new skills. In my case, I groom the slopes a lot. Uh -huh. um, but, you know, I think about the ability, you know, like we'll see traffic jam on our phone at this location, choose an alternate route. You know, I could see it, in, you know, in some of the crowded mountain spaces where there's a couple of runs that people aren't on. Correct. And that's, uh, those are the key things for the, for your users who are always on the mountain. If they can see, well, I shouldn't go there. I'm going to hop over two peaks and I'm going to go ride here because nobody's back in that bowl. Those are the absolute values that really the consumer can start to get from those things. And for the resort, their mentality is how do we shift this kludge of people and this backed up lift over to these other places so that they're getting a better experience and it's not their experience isn't waiting in lines at lifts. It's like, well, hey, you're a blue skier. We see you do mostly brew runs. If you get to this part of the mountain, nobody's over there and you're going to have a better experience. And that's really, you know, where the operational side can start to learn things about, you know, how they're efficiently working on the mountain. You know, I, I could see that, um, you know, upon some of the the areas where you go, this this particular run got you know more pressure than typical. You know, we're going to have to take and groom differently. Or you know, if they've got some level of automation on their snow guns, you know, can we absolutely? Take and, and you know, and so I I think about the end end beneficiary is you know is more than one. It's the family memory. You know, it's the ability of the resort to say there's a reason why we price our our lift tickets this way because we deliver this memorable experience and we're interested in your memorable experience. Right. You know, and, and I think about, uh, you know, as we, we talked a bit about machine learning and on these data sets, how do you see machine learning and, quote, artificial intelligence massaging or working with, with data? How do you see that going? It's, uh, 
it's a unique situation with every company you work with because everybody's trying to learn something different from their data. Uh, as we talked about a little bit beforehand, a lot of times customers don't know what it is that they are looking to learn from their data. And so we have to sort of back into solutions that allow us to do that. Uh, the way that it's headed, and it's, I guess from a Fathom perspective, it's the product that we build and offer, is a sort of streamlined way to start managing these very robust IoT solutions. Uh, so, you know, a good example, and I, I hope I can sort of work that into answering your question, is uh, Fathom owns a subsidiary called WeatherCloud. This is their... Yeah, if you uh, would, we're gonna, I'm going to put it here for the guys that are going to be looking at the video. It looks like that. And, so that's our SkyPack device. And if I don't break it, yeah. <laughs> this is what it looks like when you have the cover off. And then there's this particular one. And for you guys that are only listening, sorry, guys, you'll have to go find the video. But basically, these are the devices that you affix to vehicles. Correct. And so go ahead. So what Fathom does is really provide the workflow and infrastructure to facilitate companies who don't really have that knowledge. And so when Fathom purchased WeatherCloud as a wholly owned subsidiary, it was really about taking our Fathom technology and having a production use case for it. And so we you know, connect these devices via IoT up to the cloud uh, via an ingest process that we then from the Fathom side take control of. And our product is really focused on creating a point and click user interface that allows people to take these different streams of data to change and manipulate them, to apply business rules to them. A good example in the weather cloud world, if you're taking a temperature and that temperature is over 160 degrees, you can pretty well guarantee it's a bad piece of data because it shouldn't be pulling temperatures over 160 degrees. And so we do a lot of data cleansing preparation to get the data into the state it needs to be in to execute the machine learning that's possible. And I think that's the number one problem in machine learning is getting the right data into the right form to support at high performance the things that you want to do. And so as a, a first step, the I think where we need to go with machine learning is really understanding these good workflows to help companies not have to hire a team of, you know, me and the tech people that we have, but really to be able to have the tools necessary to get their data into the state it needs to be so that they can connect with the right data scientists. Fathom's never going to have all the right data scientists to support every piece of machine learning and predictive analytics that we want to do. And so it's really about getting an environment where we can support our customers and connect them with the right people and facilitate those groups and having access to our data to do the things that they need to do. You know, it reminds me of the old days, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, and so 100%. If, you know, so, you know, and, and the quality of the data, you know, so for you guys, and then you were talking that you had um, on WeatherCloud, you had that testing. Yeah, so we've got these devices out with... Uh, some different dots, Department of Transportations around the country, and doing some fleet uh, type of proof of concepting. Uh, so these devices are out there now. Uh, we 
sort of use that data for two purposes. One, the dots can use it to actually track their fleets, understand what their drivers are doing. We have real-time tracking capabilities of the trucks. Uh, but more importantly for them, what they like to do is use all of this weather data we're collecting to understand the most optimal way to sort of manage their road conditions. Where do we salt? Do we salt or do we use you know something else? Uh, how do we handle these different conditions? And over time, it's really about creating a data set that shows us the effectiveness of those processes. If we salted in this condition, were we resalting again three hours from now? If we did this in this condition, and really, you know, instead of relying on just the intelligence people have gained in the industry over years, we can give them the tools to validate that intelligence and really reform it into something that's more than just, you know, sticking our finger in the wind and, and trying to figure out where we are. So. And you were talking too, you know, like in, in the weather space, a lot of the weather that we have in the forecasting space is from some distance above ground. Correct. And that's the second piece that we use this and some of the existing road uh sensors, uh, I guess, ground-level sensors that exist. Uh, forecast engine typically is built in the 50 feet and above sort of information. And so what we do is bring a unique sort of road-level weather forecast that leverages the data we collect off of vehicles and leverages uh, the standard METAR, RWIS, uh, I couldn't tell you what those stand for, uh, ground stations that are out there. And we provide a forecast that allows people to do route-based forecasting. So I want to go from, let's tie it into ski a little bit as we look to do that. I want to go from Denver to Winter Park over the next 48 hours. What's the best weather for me to get up there or point-based forecast? I want to go camping, you know, over here in the mountains sometime over the next few weeks. Historically, what's our forecast here? When should I be going over the next few days? And so uh, that's really the second part of how we try to take this data and create those those forecasts. You know, I, I think about the, on the weather space, you know, you'll have you know, certain facing highways. They're either getting solar warmth or not. And then you look at, well, you get a temperature gradient change and you go, when's the optimal time to take in and adjust and do what you need to do? You know, and I can see that when you're talking to the various DOTs, what types of wish lists or feedbacks are they giving you on the data they're starting to get? You know, I guess for me, the better example is in some of our fleet sure. stuff. Uh, as we, you know initially just put our software out there, there was an immediate ask back of, well, this is cool. I can see the forecast, but can you help us actually apply a risk analysis over this entire route? And so that was, I think, one of the most profound asks that we've really had in really figuring out how we support, you know, qualifying, you know, because it's this predicted whether this road segment is a risk X risk factor and then taking that across all of it and now we can start to use that risk so on top of you know the other data that they have to sort of figure out where they're going we can really help them choose between routes like well that's a riskier route but if you go this way the weather's going to be smooth sailing uh, and, and really help them make more informed decisions. You know, I, I think about that from, from a company with a fleet and your insurance is X. And you go, you know, I understand that you guys are shooting at X. This is, you know, unfortunately for you, you don't have better data. 
But if you can take a look at that and go, you know what, we've chosen route risk, risk-based driving, and we took the less risky route, and we think that you should adjust our insurance costs by. Absolutely great sort of outcome from that level of data. You know, and, and I think about you know, new driver versus old driver. New driver gets on a less risky route. Experienced driver, you know, and, and you know, so I think about the generational data gather, you know, and and for you know, you, you probably think out periodically and go, wow, I wonder if they're going to be able to do. What do you see? What do you think's coming from this data gather from the, the things that you're doing? Yeah, for us in the weather space, you know, we see a lot of opportunity in industry to impact at a high level the efficiency. So if you look at construction, you've got open air construction sites and you can see you've got a two week snowstorm coming in. You can start to make decisions about, well, I should pull my fleet out of there because if I don't, we're going to depreciate it X quicker because they were out in the in the snow and, and really do that. And as we look further into the future and, and those grabs, you know, weather is a huge part of what it means to have a smart car driving around on the road. The cars can have all the information that they need in the world, but if an 80-mile-per-hour wind gust comes flying across their vehicle, it's got to be able to handle that. If the pavement changes from dry to wet or to ice or to any of these other types of things, the vehicles need to be aware. And so for me, you know, those thoughts of, on top of that and knowing how smart cars are already, you know, as the weather condition changes to snow, can we optimize suspensions in real time so that we can make safer cars on the road? Can we do these little types of things that make, you know, it more efficient for the fleets to be out on the road? You know, in, in, in circling back to, let's say that I'm uh, a ski area owner and I hear this and they go, you know, I, I don't even know that I had a problem, but I'd like to take in and understand what you guys can bring to the table, you know, what problems you might conceivably solve and what's what value add you might bring to me as the, the ski owner operator. Maybe it would be good to kind of do a small case study discussion about, you know, what does that look like? I'll use Telluride as an example. So we've closed a contract with Telluride, a new customer for us. And really, you know, it's how we like to start business, I guess, to, to answer that slightly. We don't like to dive into big, big contracts because in the end, we want to make sure we all work together effectively. We want good customers just as much as you want good vendors. And so uh, with Telluride, they, you know, speaking to the problem, they've got a situation where they use RTP, Resort Technology Partners, which is one of those old school ski point of sale systems uh, to kind of run their resort. Over time, they've said, nah, it doesn't do everything and it's not the best at this. And so they've put other systems in, in place. Aloha is the, you know, food and beverage, one of the two major food and beverage systems out there. They have that in place on a lot of their high-end uh, restaurants. Uh, they've put IBS, just another point-of-sale system, into another part of their system and decided that its member management was significantly better than RTP or Aloha's. However, they still need their members to have a quality experience, whether they're at an Aloha, RTP, or IBS point of sale system, they need a cohesive experience. And so today, 
they manage that internally with a manual process where somebody comes through and reconciles from Aloha and RTP into IBS all of the member billing transactions. It's a full-time job because it's a it's a lot of, of information. And, you know, the the bad parts about that are, is, you know, that resource isn't really contributing to the guest experience. They're just really doing some what in this world doesn't have to be a manual process anymore. And so in working with them and our familiarity with RTP and our just really our familiarity with integrating with other systems, we've been hired to come in and really take that manual process and flesh it out as something that's automatic in our 5280 workflow. So we call it our ski industry exchange. Uh, so we take over managing most of the complexity so that we don't want to put into resorts more things for their team to manage. Their teams need to be managing the resort activities and really improving customer experience. So we work with them. We take all that overhead of managing these new workflows out of their world, uh, put very limited technology in their domain that's really just about their security. Mm -hmm. They get to decide what we have access to at any given time, and then we can do what we need to do with their data. And so we'll be working to, you know, take that member data out of Aloha and out of RTP and put it into their master IBS system so that it's always real-time information for their members uh, up on the resort. You know, I, I think about that. And so, so you've got this data collection, you know, and, and, and so for them, they've outsourced this one challenge where we're trying to attract somebody that's skilled enough to do all that integration. You guys have done it before, so this is not new for you. What do you think, let's say we're a year from now, mm -hmm. and you've had a season with Telluride, and you've had all the integration. What types of ahas do you think are going to come out of that? The big one for us, so the the goal of our early partnerships is to get this gateway in their world because it is the one time we have to ask them to do work, their IT people to do work. The aha moments for me that we hope to really strike are around the intelligence and analytics that we can initially unlock for these controllers, these CFOs, these executive and management level positions, even at a lower level, looking at the managers of individual sales locations on a mountain to be able to understand individual point of sale registers. And, you know, if Pete's on register two, it sells a grand. If Sarah's on register two, it sells 400. Let's bridge the gap and figure out what's different between these two people so that we can get more out of our system. And so I think for me, it's really just about helping them unlock that intelligence first. And then when you unlock that intelligence, you start to unlock additional business cases like, ah, oh, well, now we need to add this in order to learn that. And that's where, you know, we can really start to grow with these resorts. And, you know, outside of that, a year from now for us, we are releasing an official sort of ski industry exchange product that is really about creating a vendor community uh, that is creating tools for the ski resorts and allowing ski resorts to get their data connected with those vendors. You know, for somebody that's that does an analytics on the industry and they go, the data availability sounds intriguing. So for them, let's say that they're not the operator, but they want to take and do some research within the data. Is that a possibility? Absolutely. The uh, And it's really a big part of what we want to do. The Where it starts for us, is, and first and foremost, is resorts get control over who. 
gets to see what. And so in working with a research company like that, we might try to understand the form of data that they're looking for, create the infrastructure in our exchange that transports the different point of sale systems we know into those data formats. And then, you know, with a setting and a switch for our resorts, they can enable a partnership with that vendor and say, yeah, you can have access to our sales data for the last month. Or yes, you can have access to our lift access data for the last year. Uh, and really just put the control in the in the hands of the resort to say who can see what. Uh, but absolutely the types of workflows that, and that's really what our focus is. We don't want to be the next point of sale system that exists on a resort. We don't want to be the next company that builds all of the ski front ends, we want to be the company that comes in and just enables this sort of exchange, this open exchange of open-ended controlled exchange of data between, you know, the legacy enterprises and the uh, vendor innovators. You know, I, I, I think about, you know, the, the continual evolution of data. You know, there's the first generation thought, you know, we just want to talk and we want to gather it. You know, and then we just want to get it in some form that one can recognize and search and massage. Mm -hmm. You know, and then you go, what about the, you were talking about point of sale, you know, one register doing more than another, you know, and so on. You go, is it because, is it the sales skill? Is it the time of day? You know, where's the anomaly? What's standard deviation out of the data? You know, and I think about that as a business owner. You know, they're so busy working in the business they don't have time to work on the business. Right. You know, so, you know, as, as you're out talking to the various ski industry folks and the DOTs, what are the typical misconceptions that they might have about what you do? I think that one I just touched on. I mean, for a long time in the industry, there's been a desire to create the next point of sale system. And so I, I think certainly uh, initially that's been one of the things we've struggled, not struggled, but really tried to push hard out to people is, no, that's not what we look to be. We're looking to enable this open communication of, uh, of what we're doing. And I think on the other side of that, Right now, and certainly in its infancy, in the way I started 5280, I really tried to do it without taking that investment capital and really bootstrap it on my own. And, you know, it's been a long journey as we've tried to do that. Uh, and so a lot of that involved consulting work to finance the R&D that we were engaging in and developing the platforms that we now have and the things we're now looking to bring forward. And so I think that might be the other misconception sometimes is that we're just another one of the ski consulting companies. But in the end, we really look to be, you know, the, the group that comes in and helps these guys do what they've been wanting to do. And, you know, I was the application architect for RTP, the point of sale system, a uh, few years ago during one of their acquisition changeovers. And, you know, we heard a lot then and since then and in opening 5280, the ski industry doesn't want somebody to be the next point of sale. They just, some of the bigger guys want the ability to do this innovation on their own so that they can separate themselves from the pack and, and be their own executing unit. And some of the smaller resorts certainly don't have the IT teams to do that. So they rely on the vendor community out there. And right now they just can't engage with them. So I think being more than just consulting and really being a group driving a permanent solution to this open exchange of ski data. 
You know, I, I think about, you know, as you talk about the vendors, it's hard to be an expert in everything. Oh, you can't be. Yeah, yeah you, you know, pretty much. And so you think about, well, there could be a point of sale expert. You know, there could be somebody in the lift space. There could be somebody on mountain management and, and all of those areas. And, and basically, you're the interpreter. Exactly. So you interpret amongst the group. You know, we, we talked a little bit before about the relationship between 5280 and Fathom. Mm-hmm. And for some of the folks, they go, hmm, not really sure I understand the, the relationship. And if you could talk a little bit about um, how you guys work together and, and, you know, the pluses and minuses on that structure. Yeah, so, you know, in sort of working those dual roles, uh, I think the first thing I had to put in my mind was, you know, these can't be two separate things forever. And if I intended them to be two separate things, I don't think this would have worked out as well as it's worked out since we sort of joined forces. Uh, You know, as I mentioned before, we saw a lot of similarities in what we were trying to do. We were just taking it into different markets with sort of different end goals in mind. And so the you know, between Matt and I and, and everyone working here, the I, really, I think since the beginning, it's really been a journey on how can we start to really bring these things together. Our technology at 5280 was more mature, was leveraging newer technologies. And, you know, one of the things I like to tout is even from our last version of our 5280 software, using all of these new Azure cloud services, we were able to reduce our own code base 60%. uh, And that's really one of the things we look at as a high value add to what we do when we engage with a company. When you have less code to manage, you can do more with less and you don't need more high paid resources if they're managing less things. And, And Microsoft and Azure and some of the other cloud providers have really put us as technologists in a place where that's possible. And so, you know, bringing that technology to Fathom has really been 5280's sort of part in the partnership. And on on the Fathom side, they've got some really good IoT connections and, and customers that they're working and supporting now. And so it's just a really great opportunity to, you know, this IoT stuff is new. It's not like it's been around for five or six years. So while Fathom has been effectively managing their IoT customers for the last three or four years, they are not leveraging these really cool new tools that make us more efficient at that process. And so that's really where we found good synergies is really upgrading the relationships that 5280 is engaging in and helping them upgrade the quality of software and really the efficiency at which we can build out these systems now. So, you know, if, if we're sitting here uh, three years from now and going like, where do you see uh, the progression of the company and, and opportunities? Where do you see that? Yeah, as, you know, as I work more with Matt at Fathom and we look at that, uh, a deeper partnership is definitely something that we're exploring. And, you know, it really for us starts to come to fruition in what is really what Fathom was engaging in, which is IoT and the smart of things. So, mm-hmm. you know, smart buildings, smart cities. And so I think in our, you know, initial partnership, we really look to take this ski resort situation. It's a industry prime for just in a prime place in our customer mind is for what we're looking for in a customer and be able to kind of make a smart resort 
out of it. We want to leverage the same relationships that we are for our other industrial customers and really provide these guys with a new, very sophisticated, innovative platform that is really helping them, you know, be relevant in today's world. And, you know, doing that not just in smart resorts, but really carrying it into, uh, you know, some of the smart buildings initiatives that we're doing. So, you know, I, I think about uh, the person listening, and and you go when when you approach a company with what you're doing, um, who do you approach in that company that would understand some of what you just said? Yeah, I mean it's an interesting point, and in the end, what we found is we have to be educators first. A lot of times, we have to teach people why what we're selling is so cool and why it will be so effective for their business. So I think in that regard, it's difficult to find the right person. A lot of times, they've been finding us in cases or through our partners, we'll kind of get connected to somebody in the division who's very excited about you know, doing something more uh, with what with their technology. And that makes it a little bit easier because they already know outside of that, you know, we're, we're definitely entering, you know, discussions at the sort of, you know, tech C level. Uh, I think a lot of times is where we're starting because again, it's just, there's less education there uh, that we're finding. In the end, it's just the reality that we have to educate people on what is IoT and what are the benefits. Well, you know, as you were talking about Azure and some of the, you know, less code means less maintenance in my mind. It means less oh, things can break. Mm-hmm. Simplistically, you know, yep. yeah, give me a dishwasher with a switch on, off. <laughs> my wife would hate me for that, but but that's what I want, on, uh-huh. off, you know. I'd never mess it up. But. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and so, you know, I think about it is and when you look across various industries, you know, and you kind of, well, you, you work in, you know, the DOT space and you're working in the ski industry. Is there another industry you look at that and go, man, they're ripe for what we do? Yeah, buildings and maintenance is a huge one, uh, you know, just with what labor is in that world to have knowledge of traffic patterns in a building, you know, who's in what parts of the building can go a long way in saying where your maintenance staff needs to be cleaning up. If nobody literally was in this conference room all day, do we really need to send somebody in there to do the once over? Or do we call it good and let them focus on the areas of the building that add more value to the experience? How do we find out when something's less trafficked so that we can send a maintenance staff in during low people volume so that the people in the building basically think there is no maintenance staff? So how would, you know, just as as a hypothetical, so I I own a a high-rise, let's say. Mm -hmm. How do I gather the data where I know the traffic patterns are? Yeah, we partner with that as well. So outside of the weather cloud devices that we have, we will build devices specific for those types of things. At the same time, we've actually done some proof of concept with our road pack here and installing it over doorways. And we can actually get readings because this does like moisture and sound readings. We can tell when there's water on the floor of a bathroom or we can tell with our IR sensors in here, which is that little camera right here. When we've got that guy pointed right down, we can tell if somebody's walking in or walking out 
of a bathroom based on what we're doing. And so a lot of times in IoT, when you have these unique business solutions, we like to start with a proof of concept. So if we've got a device we can strap somewhere and learn some things, cool. And then once it's a valuable thing, we'll actually, you know, build a true form device that can be more nicely hidden away, mm-hmm. you know, and not mm-hmm. as visible. But in a, in a lot of cases, you know, if you don't have devices in place already, it's about doing some proof of concept work and building those out. In the business space, obviously you had influences early on. In the mentor world, what do you think the best advice that you've received in running your company that's helped you? Yeah, and for people who know me, I apologize for saying it again, but uh, John Tillotson was an old project manager of mine back when I was 22, 21. I just started on this journey of of sort of being a technologist and really still learning. He was, uh, you know, in the end, the advice boiled down to, Mike, you just need to listen. Don't always be thinking about the next thing that you're going to say and make sure that you're really soaking in that information. And in that point in life, I definitely was really bad and I had had some success and I was real strong headed. And as I was leaving that company and he gave me that advice, it definitely changed my life for the rest of my life. I'm not perfect at it. Ask my wife. I'm still not perfect at it. Ask the team. But it's definitely something I recognize when I'm doing it and make sure that I shut that part of me off and really just focus on listening. Uh, And for me, that really helps, you know, develop a situation where I can use my problems to be the solutions to other people's problems, right? I'm no longer just in a meeting trying to argue about, ah, we got to do this and we need to solve my problem. I'm hearing all the problems. And I think that's really where I got a lot of my success is being able to hear all of those problems eventually and then be able to put them into a single solution that solves things at the same time. And so I think for me, definitely the hands down most important uh, bit of insight I ever received. You know, I, I think about that, and and you, you know, that's two ears, one mouth kind of ratio. Yeah. You know, for for the folks that are going, I how do I find you guys? So in social media, how do they find you if they want to reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. So 5280 Software, you can get us at 5280software.com. That's the numbers, 5280software.com. Uh, Fathom is fathom.com. Uh, and you can reach me at email. I'd give you my full big long name email, which is michael.gearhart at 5280software.com. You can also drop us a line at beta at 5280software.com, and that will come to me and the other appropriate people in our group. Yeah, and Fathom is F-A-T-H-Y-M. Correct. And you can reach me at michael.gearhart at fathom.com uh, as well. Excellent. Well, I, you know, we'll come to a close here, and I really appreciate the insights and the time you took. So, parting piece of advice from anything from teaching your kids to to learn how to program to starting a business. Any thoughts? Yeah, I think in you know, I'm going to do it to my kid and I'm going to get him involved in technology early. And and I think, you know, that doesn't mean forcing them. That just means giving them the opportunity if they're interested to learn these types of things and, and really explore, you know, technology and what I do isn't always going to be the job that it is. It is going to become more of a standard type of position. And so I think, you know, really helping your kids be a part of that, you know, it's just a big part of me. Family is a huge part of why we all work. So uh, really helping them kind of learn early is, is always good. 
do a little mentoring. That's <laughs> Well, Mike, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking time. So this has been awesome. Thank you very much. You bet.